all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs from work, for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. God gives skills to several other craftsmen at that same time in order to design and create every aspect of the tabernacle, from the tent to the ark, to the furnishings, the utensils, down to the clothes that the priests were going to wear. And I just find this so fascinating. Like, God gave the Holy Spirit to these guys in order to do tangible, concrete work. And the Holy Spirit wasn't given to everybody in the Old Testament. Like, the Holy Spirit guided these people in their actual, tangible work with their hands. And I just think those skill sets are just often different than we think of today, of like, oh, I might need the Holy Spirit in order to become a jeweler. He guides us in the work that we do. So these skill sets that he gave specifically for the tabernacle, especially appointed because that was going to be his place of worship, those were different than the ones that Moses and Aaron had been given to lead the people and to take care of the whole nation of Israel. So each, we see this a lot. Lots of examples of people who are differently gifted throughout the Old Testament for specific reasons that God wants to use them for. And then we go into the New Testament, and Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that word handiwork, the root word is, it looks like poem, and it's like you could imagine like a work of art or a masterpiece. Speaking of how God created you with such intentional care, he is an artist who created you as part of his, you know, amazing body of work. <clears throat> so Paul writes several passages about how we are the members of the body, all different, but united by the same spirit. He describes how we're each given different gifts in order to serve the body. The main example I want to use is Romans 12, 6 through 8. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually takes the entire chapter in chapter 12 to elaborate on the same concept of the body and different gifts. He spends a long time on it there, so I'm not going to read that whole passage. But you can go and just let it sink in for you, like how many different ways God calls us to serve. Peter also contributes to this concept of calling. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So, so far, I want you to just see God created us in his image. Part of imaging God means working. And he created us each uniquely for a reason. The reason is clear in the Ephesians and 1 Peter passages to do good works and to serve others. 
This keeps us from getting really individualistic, like, oh, I have a calling, it's so special, I'm gonna go like, pursue it forever by myself. Our callings are always in community, always involved with other people, always actually about making us more like Christ. I just find this so amazing. Like, can you believe, like, God designed you and he prepared work that he wants you to do. He's already planned that for you. Work that is good. Can you believe God designed you in a way that will serve other people with your unique strengths? Service that will demonstrate God's grace to people. When I think about that, I just feel really grateful that I get to be part of God's work. And I get really excited to see, like, how will he lead and guide me? Like, what opportunities will he put in my path? So based on just this really brief look at some of the scripture, this is how I try and simplify and summarize the concept of having a calling. So we have God is calling you to himself and then calling you to serve others. Your calling to serve others will be unique and will play out in a variety of ways throughout your life. So the first sentence, God is calling you to himself and then calling you to serve others, that's really not news to us generally. We understand God calls us to himself. That's salvation. That's the core message of scripture, God calling us to himself. And we also know we're called to serve others pretty clearly. That one's not hard to find either. We can look through the New Testament and find, I think it's like 59 one another passages about how we should treat each other, how we should encourage one another and love one another and be patient with one another. So those ones, those aren't really hard for us. Our common calling as believers to each other is pretty obvious. But it's the second sentence, your calling to serve others will be unique and play out in a variety of ways. That's the one I think that we really get hung up on easily. I think that's where people start saying, well, what is my calling? I don't know what my calling is. And I think that it makes us nervous. Like the idea that our callings will be unique and different from those around us, for some people that's like, yeah, I get to do something different. And for other people that's like really unnerving. Like that requires so much trust and courage to do something that looks different. And the idea that we'll probably use our gifts in a variety of ways throughout our lives means it won't necessarily be as clear cut, I think, as we often hope. I think for a lot of people, we think that calling is something like William Wilberforce's life, where he spent his entire career in the British Parliament working to abolish slavery. Like, his entire career was focused on getting that slavery bill passed. And we're like, yeah, that's what a calling is, like doing one thing our whole lives. But I think that God doesn't usually give it to us quite like that, because I think often the changing tasks and the changing seasons are part of what actually builds our faith as we discern along the way. So we don't always get to make life easy and just pick one thing that we're going to do for our whole lives. So I want to offer you a couple steps with this, the unnerving aspect, the, oh, it might not be as clear as I hoped aspect. I want to give you a couple steps for thinking about how do I start exploring calling my own calling. So step one, step one I wrote down was explode the definitions. And the reason I say that is I think we all very much like to make little rigid boxes of what things mean. So when you hear serve others, what do you think of? What's the definition? Do you think of someone volunteering at the food bank? Do you think of leading a small group? Is it a barista? 
Like, how broad and diverse is your picture of what serving others means? In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And in the context, this passage is about believers gathering together to encourage and admonish each other. And then it flows directly into talking about relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children. So this verse really is like right in the middle of encouragement for how to serve each other well. And it says, whatever you do. So I think as much as we pay lip service to this verse, like, oh yeah, that's cute, whatever we do, I think it'd be really hard to actually believe that we can serve God and bring glory to him in anything. For example, I once read a testimony from a 72-year-old Christian lady about how God had inspired her with recipes to make for her family and for her church. And she credited God with giving her this idea to invent a meat marinating stick that she would put in the roasts that would make really flavorful roasts. When you hear that, like, what is your first instinct? Is it to rejoice in God's unique ways of administering grace? Or do you like discount that immediately as like hilariously delusional? Like, why would God help her invent a meat stick? So if you felt more of the latter, you're not alone. That was like my initial reaction as well. And then it really started making me think like, let's pause for a second and really consider like how much are we limiting our idea of serving God? Like why wouldn't God want to give us good things? And that would include amazing meals made by someone who loves you. So if you're definite, you know, if you have a definite picture of like this is what serving people equals, I really want you to consider that your picture is probably too narrow. So let's, let's talk about this in another, another little story here that I love. Johannes Gutenberg, he lived in Germany and France a long time ago. In fact, I probably should have looked up the dates, but I didn't. And he was a metal worker and a goldsmith. He is credited as the inventor of the printing press, but actually, when I went and checked, he actually just... Um, refined all the existing technologies and added a few things of his own to make it work better. But what he did was so dramatic that he's credited with basically inventing the printing press. So he was the first person to use metal type and an oil-based ink, and both of these things made printing so much more durable. And so essentially the entire publishing industry, any reason we have books today, was born because of his work. And Gutenberg is still actually celebrated as one of the most important people and creations of the entire second millennium because the giving us books was such a gigantic... It's like you could compare today then like having the internet. Like back then it was like, oh my goodness, books. Like we've never had this before in our lives. So I think the most interesting thing about this story though is Gutenberg saw how his work honored God. And he saw his work in design and production of physical machines as service. The first major book he produced on his printing press was the Bible. He wrote, yes, it is a press, certainly, but a press from which shall soon flow in inexhaustible streams 
the most abundant and most marvelous liquor that has ever flowed to relieve the thirst of men. Through it, God will spread his word. Gutenberg lived out, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, and is perhaps the biggest spreader of the gospel that you could think of, even though he wasn't your standard evangelist. And that's not to disevangelists. We need evangelists. But imagine if someone had told him that the only way to evangelize was for him to quit tinkering with that technology and become a preacher. I, for one, am so glad that Gutenberg followed his own calling instead of staying stuck in maybe rigid expectations or assumptions of what serving would look like mainly because I'm a huge reader, so I love books in every form. Um, so whether it's simply blessing your family and your church with delicious meat and food or advancing Bible knowledge around the globe, I think God really cares about the work you do. And he's given you work to do. This work is going to serve others and glorify him, even if you can't see it in the moment. That's an important piece. Gutenberg was largely unknown when he died. Like, he had no idea obviously, like how influential his work would become in the rest of history. So I encourage you to examine those assumptions and remember that God works in su surprising and often mysterious ways. He's given you your talents that you have for a reason, even if they don't look like they fit the mold that you want them to fit. So you might have a job, <clears throat> but to do the work that God calls you to, it might happen in a volunteer capacity. Or you might feel called that God is actually asking you to do a particular career and you're going to serve right in your employment. You may realize that your calling is primarily about relationships with the people around you and much less about the actual tasks that you're going to complete. So make sure you're not limiting the word work to only your future employment or the word service to only your volunteer activities. Ask yourself what your calling is in your home, at school, with your friends, in your activities. Where do you work and serve in all of these arenas? So explore those definitions so you can more fully ex explore all the ways that God might lead you to serve. The second step, this one's hard and it's hard for life, guys. Stop comparing and competing. The second step goes right with that first one. Maybe you think that the only way to serve others is this one way because that person does it and you're comparing yourself to them. We can't fully explore all the ways that God wants us to serve if we're constantly looking at other people and we're worrying about what they're doing and we need to allow ourselves to just grasp our own callings and stop competing and comparing. So Charlotte Elliott was a woman who was sick for most of her life. She was fatigued, she was depressed, she basically did nothing in her own words, you know, like both her brothers were pastors and she felt completely useless compared to them because she stayed home, she couldn't even get out into the com community to help. She did not serve God in the ways that other people were serving. But instead, in this darkness that she experienced in just feeling useless, she wrote poetry. And she actually wrote over 150 hymns in her lifetime, many of which are still sung today in the churches that still have hymnals. So those are still around, even though it may not seem like it. One of her most famous hymns is called Just As I Am. The first verse goes, Just as I am without one plea, 
but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And about these words, her brother, one of the pastors, wrote, In the course of a long ministry, I hope I have been permitted to see some of the fruit of my labor, but I feel that far more has been done by a single hymn of my sister's. And little did he know that that wasn't even the end of the story, because this song would go on to be heard around the world by millions of people, because an evangelist named Billy Graham decided to use it for his altar call during his crusades. So literally, like, the entire world during the Billy Graham era heard this song from this woman who wrote it, like, 100 years before that because she couldn't go out in the community and she was stuck at home. God uses our talents to spread his words in unexpected ways. Elliot had no idea that that was going to happen. In fact, I'm pretty sure she probably felt like her whole life had just been far less helpful than the brothers that she compared herself with. So we need to really be vigilant, vigilant in fighting that temptation to compare ourselves to others, wanting their calling instead of ours, assuming that their calling is better than ours. That is not what it's about. So each of you work, ask for the trust and the confidence that God designed you uniquely and there's a waste of time to try to be somebody else. Especially with the competition thing too. So like maybe we waste time comparing. Others of us are like, oh yeah, I'm called to be a teacher. Okay, I'm going to be the best teacher. I'm going to be the only teacher and everybody better know that I have the calling to be the teacher. And that's like so much pressure, guys. Like don't do that to yourselves. God gifts us gives us so many gifts, and he gives lots of us the same gift, and we all can use it in different ways. We don't have to compete and be like, well, my way of teaching is way better than his way of teaching. That is not the point. Paul wasn't the only apostle. It might look like that when we read the New Testament, because we have most of his letters, but when you read the letters, Paul is constantly mentioning his co-workers, his co-laborers, and he's asking the churches to welcome other teachers that he's sending to them. And he's saying, it's not about me or Apollos. Like, we preach the same gospel. Yes, maybe in different ways, but that is not, he's telling them, that is not the point. We are not competing for number one apostle. That's hard to remember in our world, because in this world, I think we often do think that it's just one person at the top. So God's definition of success, it's so opposite to ours. And you guys probably know that. I know that one of your themes, wasn't it like the upside down kingdom for a while? I feel like I saw that. Yes. You guys know that. You've walked through that. Like God uses the small things, the humble things. He gives up power. He connects with the people that are disenfranchised. He blesses the children. So this should encourage us when we feel like we're serving invisibly in limited ways that don't look like success. God's going to use what we offer. We may not see it in our lifetimes, but there's no point in comparing and competing. So I think those first two steps for me, those are sort of like the clearing away steps. Like we have to sort of work on, like, all right, let's clear away all the assumptions and expectations and open ourselves up to what God might be saying. And then we have to clear away all our comparing and competing and get that out of the way so that we can scrape away those blinders and be ready to accept our own callings. And how do we do that? I think step three is simple and yet so hard. Know God and know yourself. Knowing God's voice is so essential. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
The more you become engaged with the God of the Bible, the more you will attune your heart to hear the Holy Spirit guiding your life. I've just given you this tiny sampling of what God says about work in the Bible. Go dig through it. Go find out. Like 58 of the books talk about work. God issues so many unique calls to all those people in the Old Testament. Like, go look at those. They are such great examples of what living a life of calling looks like. It's so much more nuanced than what I can cover here today. Those stories are examples of how to walk by faith, to risk, and to see what happens because God has called you. Discernment isn't something you can do by sitting at home and waiting on the couch and being like, okay, God, tell me my calling, and and then I'll go out and I'll go do it. That's just not how he works. Discernment happens when you risk and you say, I'm going to try, Lord, and you move forward with the expectation that he's going to direct your path. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's much more risky. So take the time to ask God, who did you create me to be? You can use tools here to help you, people, strengths inventories, personality tests. They can give you some insights that you can discuss with the people that know you well. And they can help you understand yourself and, and take inventory of who you are. So especially I want to encourage you guys, you have to know and understand what your strengths are to move forward in stewarding those faithfully. I think for me, one of the things that really hampered me growing up was assuming that I had to hide those strengths and I had to minimize them and pretend that they weren't there and it wasn't cool to have, you know, a brain or anything. So just pretend like nothing, I don't have any abilities. Just leave me alone. But that is not humility, guys. Humility is not about denying your strengths and hiding them and minimizing them. Humility is being able to acknowledge those gifts that God has given you and point back to him and say, he's the one that provided this. And when I use my gifts, I honor him. And I'm grateful that I get to use them. That's humility. So the process of discernment, it requires self-awareness. It requires knowing who God made you to be. And it requires learning to listen to Christ's voice in your lives in a continual daily process because like I said, we unfortunately don't usually just get one call and then go with it for 30 years, you're good. I think God gives us just those small steps a lot because it helps us get close to him. It helps us stay in step with him for each season, for each task. So I'm going to summarize the three steps I just covered. One, explode the definitions. What assumptions or expectations for serving others is limiting you from seeing what God has for you? Two, stop comparing and competing. Trust that God has designed you the way he wants you, and it's a waste of time to try to be somebody else. Three, know God and know yourself. Ask God to guide you. Get to know his voice. Take inventory of your life and understand how he created you. Without these steps, I think it's hard to get a sense of your own calling because you're going to be looking for it around every corner, like, this is what it should look like, right? Or blinded by what other people are doing because you're like, that's the only way to serve God, what they're doing over there. And you get bogged down by other people's successes and think, oh, they're already doing that thing I thought I was called to. I guess I'm not called to that too. So you've got to really clear that out and focus on (coughs) where God is asking you to serve in the smallest places, whatever it is, the tiny things that are right now that you know 
God's asking me to do, and I can do that today, and tomorrow he might ask me to do something else. And it's those baby steps that help us get on the road and understand our callings. Guys, there's so much more to this topic. Like, I've seriously spent like three or four years reading a million books about it. So this is like as condensed today as possible. But if you're interested in learning more, like I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to offer you some books because I love reading. If you don't want a book, I can give you like podcasts maybe. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if there's more you want to explore here, like this is not the exhaustive talk on calling. Um, and I'd encourage you, encourage you to go start researching for yourself. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your presence here. And thank you that you give us the grace to both speak and to listen. And that it's your Holy Spirit that works in our hearts to understand. And I thank you for your guidance and your grace to each of us. I thank you for creating us and designing us so wonderfully. I thank you that through Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we will do good work in this world that honors you. And we are so humbled and so grateful, Lord, that we get to participate in your story, whether it's in big or small ways, visible or invisible, local or global. Lord, we just ask that we would be faithful. Lord, bless these young people as they grow and as they discern what you are calling them to. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.